From COK Studios on David Fulkenflick's Futon, this is Consider Our Knowledge. I'm Connor Bentley. And I'm Diana Jones-Mallow. On today's show, we'll consider concerns over Hillary Clinton's health in our ongoing Consider the Vote 2016 coverage. We'll also consider the 50th anniversary of Star Trek with entertainment reporter Fritz Hicks and blogger Kelly DeForest. And we'll consider what Aleppo is. Stay with us. Support for Consider Our Knowledge comes from the Matt Lauer School of Journalism, teaching aspiring reporters how to treat important, hard-hitting interviews like a cooking segment with Giada De Laurentiis. Visit softball.com to enroll. And Netflix, now showing What About Barb, the new Stranger Things spin-off starring Barb. You know Barb, she's the best. This is Consider Our Knowledge. I'm Connor Bentley. And I'm Dinah Jones-Mallow. There have been growing concerns, some founded and others unfounded, about the health of presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. Last week, Clinton was diagnosed with pneumonia, according to a statement from her doctor, Lisa R. Bardak. The Clinton campaign provided the statement late Sunday afternoon, after she was examined at her home in Chappaqua. She'd returned there from New York City after feeling overheated during a commemoration ceremony for the victims of the September 11th attacks and had to leave after an hour and a half. While Clinton has been forced to modify her schedule to help her recovery, Dr. Bardak says that she is recovering nicely and is beginning to feel better after beginning a course of antibiotics. Clinton's pneumonia raises larger questions about the health of those wanting the nation's highest office and how much voters have a right to know about the medical histories of presidential candidates. Here to discuss this as part of our Consider the Vote 2016 coverage are former White House physician Tom Jennings and Consider Your Health reporter Alex Truman. Hello. Greetings, Dida. Dr. Jennings, you are a White House physician for a few years. What obligation does a candidate or president have to keep the public informed about their health? I think the candidate should allow their personal physicians, perhaps, to be interviewed or something along those lines to summarize. And then, I think, based upon the answers to those questions, delve further if deemed necessary. I'm not sure it's important to know absolutely everything. Oh, I beg to differ, Doctor. Health is paramount, and medical records need to be more public in general. It's dangerous if people aren't aware of your medical conditions. I should know. I've got many, many, many very serious health issues, and without proper documentation and being upfront about all of them, I could be in serious trouble. Explain that, if you would. In addition to my life alert bracelet, anklet, and peaky rig, I also carry this handy sleeve of 3x5 cards listing all of my health conditions, allergies, and the 63 medications I take. That doesn't seem too bad. They're printed front and back. Ooh. So you think that it's important for candidates like Hillary Clinton to disclose any ailment, no matter how small, to the American public? Oh, yes, but more for her safety than our information. I don't think a little pneumonia or some hot flashes is a big enough deal to keep her out of office. But if she goes down at a campaign event, it's good to know if she needs an EpiPen, a cookie, or a nice, cool drink of Pedialyte. It's delightful with a splash of club soda. Mm. Dr. Jennings, do you disagree? Uh, No, that makes some sense, actually. Especially when we're talking about a 69-year-old woman and Donald Trump, who's 70. If he's elected, he'll be older than Ronald Reagan was. 
So it's good to know how fit they are and what health issues they have, if any. I am sure that the requirements of the office are demanding, and that health is somewhat of an issue, but there's nothing that says you have to be 100% healthy all the time to be president. That's true. FDR suffered from polio and congestive heart failure and served the most years of any president and is generally considered to be one of the best our nation ever had. Well, that's very true. And don't forget about JFK's Addison's disease. Oh, and Eisenhower's troublesome gallbladder. But Lincoln had Marfan syndrome. And what about Washington's terrible dental problems? I think Warren G. Harding had a spastic colon? Taft had gout. Have we had any healthy presidents? Uh, this is America, Dida, so no. Fair enough. Alex, Dr. Jennings, thank you for your time today. For more Consider the Vote coverage, visit considerourknowledge.com. You're listening to Consider Our Knowledge. Last week, fans boldly went where no one has gone before, as Star Trek celebrated its 50th anniversary. Star Trek debuted on NBC in 1966, developed by Gene Roddenberry, a former Los Angeles cop who wanted to make a TV series that could sneak past the rampant escapism of most programs back then. Since then, it has spawned numerous spin-offs, 13 feature films, and countless conventions. Here to discuss the five-decade Star Trek phenomenon are COK's entertainment reporter Fritz Hicks and Star Trek fan blogger Kelly DeForest. Good to see you both. Hailing frequencies open, Connor. Nookney! That's Klingon for hello! Oh, that's cool. So, Fritz, I want to start with you. Tell us a little about Star Trek's origins. Yes, yes. Gene Roddenberry's original vision for the show was Wagon Train to the Stars, a sci-fi exploration that would celebrate diversity and give an optimistic vision of the future. Yes, because most sci-fi shows and movies had been dark and dystopian up until that point. Yes, yes. Star Trek was really the first to be hopeful about the future of mankind, and it was a welcome diversion amid the upheaval of the late 1960s. I'll never forget how the escapist optimism of Star Trek helped me get through some tough times. Now, how old were you in the late 1960s, Fritz? Oh, uh, I was born in 1973. I was referring to the Carter years. He was a terrible president. I see. Now, Kelly, over on your website, The Wrath of Blog, you've been counting down your favorite movies, episodes, characters, and unusual Trek facts. That's right. This anniversary is a huge deal for Trek fans, Connor. The last few weeks have been huge for me. I was lucky enough to get Will Wheaton's brother, Phil Wheaton, to guest blog last week. I did an interview with Star Trek Deep Space Nine's wigmaster, Yancey Cianci, and LeVar Burton himself gave me a t-shirt that says, Engineers do it at Warp 9. Wow, that is impressive. Now, I understand you two put together a little piece about Star Trek and some little-known facts that people may not know about the show. Yes, yes. Kelly and I had great fun digging up all kinds of super-secret fanboy facts about Star Trek. Let's hear it. Space. The Final Frontier. These are the voyages of Star Trek. Did you know that the name of the ship was almost not the Enterprise? The producers almost named it the Discovery, the Pacific Princess, or Sippy McSipface. In the original series, there were several groundbreaking moments, 
including television's first interracial kiss, the first Asian man to drive a starship, and the first Federation Klingon basketball game between the Kronos Batleks and the Harlem Galaxy Trotters. Did you know that William Statner wore a hairpiece beginning in 1979's Star Trek The Motion Picture? Get out of here. It's true. Ah. Fun fact! Geordi LaForge became blind from masturbating too much. Did you know that the actual title of the fourth Star Trek film is Star Trek IV, The One with the Whales? I thought it was The Voyage Home. Me too, but nope. Hmm. Hmm. Finally, very few people know this, but apparently the classic Next Generation two-part episode, The Best of Both Worlds, syncs up perfectly with Captain and Tennille's 1975 album, Love Will Keep Us Together. Sounds fun. And you get two captains for the price of one. Mm -hmm. Live, Live long, long and, and prosper. That's all for this week's episode of Consider Our Knowledge. If you'd like more from the best-looking news team in public radio, go to our website, considerourknowledge.com, for more news and stories. You can also follow us on Twitter, at ConsiderOurKnow, and don't forget to like us on Facebook. You can download the podcast at iTunes or at Stitcher Radio at Stitcher.com. The COK team includes Emily Clausen, Jeremiah Knight, Hobart Willis, Natalie Thorpe, Marianne Wetzel, Spencer Cannon, and Libby Mitchell. Our intern is Ryan Shattuck. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Connor Bentley. Well, in addition to my life of rare, <laughs> <laughs> hunker down for doinkage. Okay. <laughs>